0: Welcome everyone to Tamrielic Adventures, a show that brings you information from all across the Far reach of Tamriel. I'm your host, of course, Eric, a.k.a. Suluyor, and today we are finally going to start the series on the Daedric Princes. So, yeah, it has been a long time coming. I know people have been hyped for it, and we are finally here. So we kind of took a little bit of a detour to talk about the... Adra, well, not, not so much the Adra. That was part of the plan to begin with, but to talk about the tribunal or tribunal, however you want to pronounce it. So, but we are finally here. So we are going to be talking about Azura today. But before we get to that, let's talk a little bit of the news. So we have a preview for. Update 31 for Elder Scrolls Online, so it says the gates stand open. The schemes of the Prince of Destruction were not thwarted during the events of Elder Scrolls Online Blackwood, only delayed. And his influence of power grows stronger in the Elder Scrolls Online Waking Flame DLC game pack. So... This arrives on August 23rd for PC, Mac, and Stadia. I still can't believe that Stadia is still a thing. And then on August 31st for Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and S, PS4, and PS5. So basically all consoles. And you can experience the new Gates of Oblivion stories as part of a two- as part of two challenging four-player pve dungeons the dread cellar and red petal bastion both of these dungeons are available in normal veteran and hard mode difficulties having their own unique rewards including item sets and collectibles they expand upon the larger gates of oblivion narrative and begin the flames of ambition dlc that began with the flames of ambition dlc in february and continues throughout the rest of 2021 so, upon launch, Waking Flame will be available for purchase yeah, with crowns, you know, through the crown store, unlo- or unlocked as part of the ESO Plus membership. So, there's a little bit about these two dungeons here. So, there's the Dread Cellar, formerly a clandestine prison for the emperor, Empire's most dangerous foes, discontents radicals and the dread cell has begun radiating mysterious magical energies prompting the investigation by the imperial legion's battle mages beware the monsters that now stalk the dread cellar in this new dungeon you must team up with lucilla caprina Caprinia, a battle mage in training, and her master Martus Tullius to investigate the once feared prison and uncover the origins of the Daedric cultists and monsters that now inhabit it. So that is the Dread Cellar. Now, the Red Petal Bastion says, Once the Order of Noble Knights of the Red... Uh, sorry. Once... The Order of Noble Knights of the Silver Rose dedicated itself to protecting Tamriel from the Daedric threat, but recently, warriors of the Red Petal Bastion have begun to pillage nearby temples, stealing away their holy relics. So you uncover the evil that has befallen the Knights of the Silver Rose. At the doors to the Red Petal Bastion dungeon, a devotee of Azura needs your help to reclaim reclaim his shrine's stolen artifacts from this once-honorable order and discover the temple secrets behind their ignoble fall to darkness and subsequent hoarding of Tamriel's relics. So, also with update 31, the update... The t- uh, 31 base game patch is free to update on. Of course, so, yeah, the patch is free. So, this patch includes a host of bug fixes, quality of life performance improvements, such as reply function for in-game mail, and new houses, furnishings, and house gates in the in-game store. Ooh. I am a house collector in this game, so... I can always do with more houses and furnishings, so I don't really furnish my houses, but I definitely like to collect houses. I'll talk about that in a minute here. So you can watch the live preview of this, so we will be sharing more about these new dungeons and changes in the coming months but you can get the first look at the new dungeon dlc right now by checking out our most recent eso live stream so this this is all coming from the elder scrolls online website i should say i'm going to post the link for that in the show notes so they said that uh, the tour was led by encounters lead mike finnegan So yeah, you can definitely, you can check that out now. And I want to say, I think I saw this on their website, that this is live in the uh, player test servers. So if you are a part of the PTS team, you can check it out now. So also in the news, uh, Deathloop, um, there's free in-game items that you can go ahead and pre-order, you can get, by subscribing to their um, their uh, website, so you can go to deathloop.com, or you can go to the Bethesda.net website, and you can create an account and you can sign up um, for all of this. So you can get. Uh, let's see. It says looking to add a little more color to the already colorful island of Black Reef. Or maybe you just want to want Colt to blend in with his Eternalist foes a little better. You can join the Arcane Outsiders group and receive the Eternalist Colt skin, as well as a unique weapon and the Ever After S T R E L A K Strleak Verso. Or maybe you just want Cold to blend in with the internal foes a little better. So okay, yeah, I already set that. So um, yeah, you get all these skins. All you need to do is join. To join is to create a Bethesda.net account and sign up at the official Deathloop website. So once Deathloop launches, you'll need to sign into the game, and you know, with your Bethesda.net account, and these will automatically appear in your in game so go to your transaction history for verification of this bonus content get a closer look at both of the free items and the video okay so i'm going to post the link for this in the show notes also because it has a video that you can look and see these skins so this game is still set to launch on september 14th of 2021 this year and it's exclusive on ps5 and it will uh, uh, pc and ps5 so if you are lucky enough to have the ps5 or a pc that's good enough to play it you are in luck um other news um ghostwire tokyo has been delayed until early 2022 so they're basically saying that it, they're taking their time on the game and And it's been a little challenging due to the restrictions that COVID-19 has presented the team. So they just want to get the best game possible out. So I can applaud that. Uh, We've seen what happens when games get uh, rushed and uh, released in a unready state or in an unready state and. I applaud the team for doing what they can to prevent that from happening with this game. So props to you guys. Um, so thank you. It's it's frustrating when games continually continuously get delayed, but I'd rather that than a half-baked game. So anyway, as, let's get on with uh, my gameplay. So I have played ESO. I've uh, been playing some ESO. Not a ton. Not like I, I was before. I've, I've still been playing. I've been doing some um, Three Banners War quests. I am part of the Ebonheart pack, so I've been doing some of those. I finished everything in Stone Falls. So everything in Davin's Watch and some other surrounding areas. And I'm now in Deshaun and I've been going about the Malborn, not Mal, I think it's the Malborn, Malborn disease. So there's a disease that's basically turning people into zombies that you have to battle. And so I've been doing that. And I've also been doing some more of the main quest. So I have rescued Sisa Han from Cold Harbor, Cold Harbor. So, we're now about to go get the Amulet of Kings from Hammerfell, from a hidden part in Hammerfell. So, that, that's been cool. Um, my crafting, I've been mainly focusing on crafting a lot. So, one of my fellow Hive members, I, I'm blanking on his name, I apologize, his name starts with a D. I was struggling with keeping up with crafting materials... Um, so I, I had... My crafting skills are getting close to level 50. I think all of my... The main ones, like um, the blacksmithing and the clothing and woodworking, those are all in the 40s. So I used skill points to get up to um, a certain level. But the problem was, was that I didn't have the materials available like stored up. So you know how you'll go around and you'll collect these crafting materials, but they'll keep giving you stuff for the next level. Um, yeah, that's the problem that I was running into is that I was getting a lot of stuff for the next level, but not the level that I was at. So like even with jewelry, I was getting a lot of electrum and not so much pewter. And so I was getting a lot of like, say, void flower and um, instead of silver uh, silverweed or I was getting nightwood as opposed to mahogany so thankfully doing the uh, main quest stories and the other like the uh, Ebonheart pact stories I was getting skill points and you know you'll find the random sky shard so I was able to boost my skill levels up to the next level which I did have stuff (laughs) stored up for So, um, it's been interesting, and I've been gaining, I've been getting money, you can get quite a bit of money from doing this, you can get, I've been getting over 4,000 gold a day, so I've had enough to buy some more houses, I'm up to like 15 or 16 houses at this point, so I bought a shard, shard, um, a house in uh, Krag, or something, some place in um, Stonefall's, I'm blanking on the name It starts with a K um, And I bought a couple of the smaller houses Not the Not the um, Not houses that are as small as like Humble Mud or Snug Pod But the next level up To where it has A small yard It's still a smaller house It's not one of the like mansions But um, you can you do have a little bit of space And there is a, a, a Yard to it um, I think Humble Mud was one that had a small yard to it. So, I mean, the outside, it's not glamorous, but um, you can do a little bit with it if you want to, if you can, if you have diagrams to craft stuff with. So, um, yeah, that's basically what I've been doing in ESO. Um, I did do some Mid-Year Mayhem stuff. I did some, like, capture the flag or, def- you know, defend the flag um, stuff. I wasn't able to buy the rest of the um, stuff for the style motifs, which was kind of disappointing. Um, But, you know, it was fun. Like I said, I'm not the biggest PvP person. I'd much rather do group dungeons and things like that. I'm much more of a PvE person as opposed to a PvP person. But, you know, I did manage to win one of the battlegrounds, which was cool. I don't know. maybe, Maybe it's just me. But, um, yeah, I can appreciate Mid-Year Mayhem. Oh, oh, um, I also did a little bit of the PvP stuff in the Imperial City. Um, nah, I can't remember exactly what it was. There was, I kept getting my ass kicked by, um, by the Daedra that were, you know, invading the Imperial City. And then there are the random jerks that'll come along and see you getting your ass kicked and decide to kill you and get your points. So, um, I mean, there is that. But it's still cool to see the Imperial City in Second Era because I spent so much time there in Oblivion. It's nice to see something familiar like that. Um, But that's not all I played. I did play a little bit of Skyrim, and I actually did this on stream. So I hadn't played Skyrim in a while, but I did download the uh, Shirley, Shirley Scurry uh, Skyrim Grandma mod. And that adds her as a companion. So (laughs) it was a little difficult to get to her. She has her house on top of a mountain. And of course, anybody who's played Skyrim knows how difficult it can be to climb mountains at times. So I was able to get up the mountain and she sends you on a quest to retrieve her bow and her great sword. And then after that she'll accompany you on missions. So you gotta go get that and that wasn't super difficult. But the other thing that I did was I played the deal or not DLC, but the mod um, the Forgotten City. This is one that I played on PC years ago. And I remembered it being really interesting. So basically what happens is it's somebody that triggers a curse that wiped out the dwarves. Now, keep in mind, nobody really knows what happened to the dwarves. The only thing that we know is that they were here one minute and they were gone the next. But this is something that kind of explores that possibility a little bit. So basically what happens is that somebody... Um, inadvertently or maybe advertently, maybe you know, intentionally unintentionally triggers the curse by doing something evil. And you go around like you it kind of deals with time travel. You go back in time to when the city was still inhabited. And you can go around talking to people. Now, I remember this mod taking a little bit of time. Like, you go through this entire quest line. But this time was a little bit different. I traveled back in time, and I talked to the mayor or the Jarl of the city or whatever. And he falls off a ledge and dies. And then that was kind of the end of the quest. So, you get sent there to find somebody's brother. And you find him hanging from a tree like he committed suicide and you find a death note and then you go back in time to find out whatever what happened to all these people and then yeah i go and i talk to the jarl and he falls off a ledge and dies and then i somehow that sends me back to the present. everything's good you know well not everything's good but the brother is still alive and he goes and you see him rejoin his sister and everything and he you kind of find like he kind of explained to him what happened <laughs> And my character says that, I, that he knocked him off the ledge. So the person who triggered the event was me. I don't remember it happening that way the last time I played. But then again, it's also been several years since I've been through this quest. So who knows? Uh, maybe it's been changed. But the thing is, this mod is really well done. It's fully voiced. Even the letters that you find are fully voiced. So... I do recommend checking it out. Maybe you'll have a different experience with it than I did. Um, But yeah, that's been my gameplay. There's that. Uh, There's my Fallout 76 gameplay, which is basically just going through the Steel Rain um, story very, very slowly. Um, I recently recorded a segment for my Fallout podcast, Tapes from the Waste I Do with KDB, where I kind of talk about that a little bit along with the update Um, so I've really been taking my time with this story I blew through the first part and I didn't want to do that with this one Um, so it's just that doing my daily quests and um, then I've been doing some uh, fallout 4 but I will talk about that on the fallout feed which I will be recording this Friday and it'll be out Saturday so I guess uh, check out those podcasts also for other updates um then there's that and a lot of Witcher I've been playing a lot of Witcher 3 uh, I completed the battle for Kaer Morhen uh, which I thought was the end of the story and turns out there's a whole other uh, act that was the end of act two and then I'm now uh, playing act three so yeah this I've, I've heard that the Witcher 3 story is long And that was actually a criticism that people had, that it was just so long. You know what? I don't care. I enjoy it. Like, give me more. So, um, yeah, it's been a hell of a story. I've loved this game so much. Um, If you haven't checked out The Witcher games, definitely check them out. I would love to play Witcher 1 and 2. I think those are PC only so um anyway yeah that is about it as far as my gameplay so let's take a short break you'll hear me uh chill for anchor and then we will talk azura stay tuned guys guys welcome back and so today we are going to be talking about azura so azura is the daedric prince of dawn and dusk and it's also known as azura of the crimson gate the mother soul moon shadow mother of the rose queen of the night sky and the rim of all holes that last one is kind of interesting uh the cosmic severer and also called azura with an h at the end by the khajiit so azura is a daedric's prince whose sphere is dawn and dusk the magic the magic in between realms of twilight as well as the mystery and magic fate and prophecy, and vanity and egotism, Azura is one of the few Daedra who maintains the appearance of being good by all mortal standards, and reportedly feels more concern for the well-being of her mortal subjects than other Daedra princes. It is said that she wants their love above all else, and for her worshippers to love themselves, it pains her when they do not. This attitude leads to extremely devoted following. She is also one of the few Daedra that constantly maintains a female appearance. So, um, yeah, that is one thing I should mention, is that Daedric princes, um, they can kind of change their appearance to suit their whims. So, kind of like how um, Sanguin in Skyrim appears as a mortal at first, like he just appears as some guy named Sanguinvi or Samguinvi or something like that. Same Gwen or um but yeah, they can change their appearance but so they can appear as a female or a male, but Azura constantly chooses a female appearance, so she rarely I don't know if she's ever appeared as a male. But she is also perceived as a female constantly. So people always refer to Azura as a she, typically. So, she um, in Khajiit creation myths, Azura is credited with introducing moon sugar to the Khajiit. And this belief is also told within tales aimed at Khajiit children. So, the five songs of King Wolfarth claims that Alandro Sul is the immortal son of Azura. While Azura is considered one of the good Daedra by the Dunmer of Marwind, elsewhere she has been known to be allied with Molag Bal, who is known to the Denmar as one of the four corners of the House of Troubles. The people of the Iliac Bay region believe that Azura bewitches some of her followers to become her lovers and virtual slaves. Her followers acknowledge that she is cruel but wise. In addition to being one of her, her many sobriquets, Moonshadow is also the name of Azura's realm in Oblivion. Azura's star and the twilight star is visible at the dawn and dusk, low on the horizon below the constellation of the Steed. She is considered an enemy of Ebonarm and Nocturnal. She is Her summoning day is Holgrithum, a festival on the 21st of First Seed. So, a lot of the times you can only summon these Daedra on certain days. So... That is when, uh, you can summon Azura. So I mentioned earlier Alandra's soul. I'd like to uh, talk about Alandra's soul a little bit here. So Alandra's soul was the shield companion of Nerevar during the War of the First Council. It is said that he is the immortal son of Azura. According to the ancient Nordic account in the Battle of Red Mountain, he wore the wraith mail. During the battle. And fought the Ash King Wolfarth. He deferred, defeated Wolfarth. But was struck blind during the fight. After the battle. He lived with the Ashlanders. And is credited with spreading the belief. that Among them. That the Tribunal murdered Nerevar. So it's said that he is immortal. But I don't see any. Instance of him being in the game Morrowind. You would think that he would be. And you can find him in the uh, game with the Ashlanders. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm not finding any um, pick, you know, screenshots of him in the game Morrowind. Now, it looks like there are mods that you can get on the Nexus that have to do with him, but I am not finding him in the game. You would think he would be, but I guess that's not the case. So, let's talk about the uh, House of Troubles. So, I mentioned the House of Troubles earlier. And that is the name that is given to four of the Daedric princes that the Dunmer people see as bad Daedra. So, this includes Maroon's Dagon, Shea Gorath... Malakath and Molag ball These princes are the quote unquote bad Daedra, as introduced by the Chimer by the by the teachings of Saint Veloth. So I mentioned the Chimer, or I'm sorry, um, the uh, son of Azura, the uh, Alondra Sul person, and uh, it should be noted that he is also a Chimer. He's not a Dunmer. So, um, yeah, so. The House of Troubles, you know that teaching. The teachings come from Saint Valet. So rebels, who, whose purpose it is to test the resolve and faith of mortals, they are known as the Four Corners of the House of Troubles. Ancient alien temples dedicated to their worship can be found across Merlins So, um, so yeah, let's talk a little bit more about Azura herself. So she is uh, the god ancestor of the Chimer people. They, she taught the Chimer how to be different from the Altmer. So, th- these, this is coming from the Dunmer perspective. So, the Dunmer of Marwan believed that Azura is their god ancestor who taught the Chimer how di- it is to be different from the Altmer. So, some of her teachings are occasionally attributed to Boethia, though. They, these tales are often portray her as more of a communal prognator. So, or a cosmic force for the Chimer rather than an ancestor or a god so this that's actually kind of interesting because you can find her in ESO in a few instances and rather than a carnal uh, quote-unquote incarnation she possesses a, another Dunmer she will possess a few people in the game rather than a peer herself i mean you can tell it's her because she has the moon and stars you know uh, above her palms but um yeah i just it's kind of interesting that that's the case so yeah the dunmer see her as a cosmic so i don't know if it's maybe because that's how the dunmer view her because there are pictures of quote-unquote azura but um yeah um most of the time that i've seen her she's been possessing someone else after the hypothesis of the almsibi in the first era azura was recognized as one of the three good daedra who swore allegiance to the new gods the temple dubbed these three the anticipations as they were the early ancestral anticipations of the loving patronage of the tribunal azura became the anticipation of sothisil female to his male however Azura and the other good Daedra which include Boethia and Mephala which Mephala I would never consider good Mephala is the spider Daedra (laughs) I wouldn't consider that good but that's just me Um, they continue to be venerated by the nomadic Ashlanders Things changed after Fourth Era 5, the Red Year. A massive eruption of Red Mountain wiped out much of Vardenfell and dev- devastated the mainland as well. This combined with the apparent disappearance of the Three Tribunal at the end of the Third Era caused a schism in the temple which ultimately resulted in the former distant priests seizing control the new temple that arose from this declared worship of the tribunal as a result of misguided teaching it also declared that the triad of azura boethia and Mephala to be the true way thus having reclaimed their status and they are now worshipped in morrowind as the reclamations so let's talk about the khajidi um, you know view of azura so in elsewhere, Azura is nearly holy, uh, nearly wholly separate entity, the goddess Azura, the mother of all Khajiit, she who sits at the precipice and the favored daughter of Fatome. Azura, Azura, I should say, carries the burdens of the Kajidi ancestors, and her spheres are magic, beauty, the prophecy, and she is the keeper of all the gates and keys and rims of the threshold the goddess is credited with making the kajiit out of the forest people quote unquote some of whom became the bosmer living in nern living on nern and binding them to the lunar Latisse, or the Ja though other sources say that Khajiit were made out of the Altmeri stock <laughs> Um, It is said that Azura knows the names of all the Khajiit that will ever live, and knowing her is the first step on their path. Azura is the twilight path to the love and redemption. The Khajiit believe that Azura oversees the gates of the crossing below the Lunaratis, a twilight realm between life and the afterlife. Azura is also said to be more beautiful than any spirit, save for her sister Nerni. She killed the dark spirit, um, Varminjina. Varmin. Varminjini. I. I don't know. Varminjina. Varminjina. Um. Or no, that's actually two eyes. Varmina. I will just say Varmina. In the underworld, which is why Varmina haunts the dreams of the khajiit Some say that she often walks the halls of Hamura's library, sharing his in his knowledge. Kanarthi is Azura's messenger and ferries the dead Khajiit to souls for, to her for judgment. Azura attends the lanterns lit by Kanarthi in the eyes of Joan and Jode. their stillborn brothers where they burn now. The Kajidi story describes her Khajiit form as lithe, the, with eyes that shine in, like the moons and wearing a silken dress of purple and gold when colored. So, we talked about the Khajiit, now let's talk about Azura and Lorikaj. So, um, this kinda has to do, it looks like it, well, we'll just get into it here. Sometime later, Nerni needed a place to bear children. Lorikaj tricked his siblings into creating the world to satisfy her desire, and many of Fatome's children died in its creation. The survivors killed Lorkaj and tore out his heart, or so they believed, for the great darkness in his blood filled the hole where his heart had been. He sought out Azuraj for, Azura for help. Meanwhile, Azura remained within the great darkness, mourning Fatimae's death. In time, the light from her tears and the lunar latisse dispersed the darkness, and she found herself in a place of moonlight and shadow. Azura then tried to return to her mother's side, but her tears had filled, uh, sorry, her tears had created the great sea, and beyond it stood back, stood a black gate that opened into darkness. There stood, sorry, and there stood Lorcaj, his chest gaping, a shadow, a shadowy imitation of his heart beating steadily, dripping black blood. But Azura knew that the names of all the spirits and so she recognized the great darkness for what it was. Azura was able to rip the dark heart and all the darkness out of her brother before it could consume him. She cast it beyond the sea into the void where it became the moon beast, the first of the dromatra, and Lorchais perished within Azura's embrace. Azura made a funeral pyre for her brother before the gate and lit it with the twin lanterns of Joan and Jode. Her tears fell upon the pyre, and the ashes scattered across the Laties. As a result, it is said that Azura and Kanarthi can call upon the true spirit of Lorcaj to appear. The spirit Noctra was born from the black blood of Lorvage and the steps of the Void Gate. Boethra was able to defeat the spirit and took her to Azura for judgment. Azura was merciful and allowed Noctra to live if she agreed to serve Azura and Lunar Latisse. But Noctra stole one of Azura's keys and fled to the, to the void. So, this is the Khajiit version of Nocturnal. <clears throat> so, excuse me, by the way. Azura summoned the true spirit of Lorcage after her, and now Noctra aids the Khajiit when she is called upon. It is also said that the unnamed spirit of vengeance was born from Azura's grief after the deaths of her mother and brother. It has no will of its own and can only be summoned by Azura, Boethia, and Mephala, or by those who know its true name. Tales describe its appearance as a Black Panther, a warrior in ebony armor or a hidden sword. So, I think I've heard of the ebony warrior, maybe. Hmm. So, um, let's talk about Magras' eye. It is said that Magras serves as a reminder of Azura's wrath. The sun god once fought Boethra, Lorcaj, and Boethra plucked out one of its eyes. Half blinded, Magras fell up into the moon shadow, where Azura judged him too fearfully to rule a sphere. Sorry, too fearful to rule a sphere and tore out his other eye. Though other stories say he gave Azura the eye willingly. Azura took the eye and fashioned it into the Aether Prism, a stone that reflects the um, Veralun's gate and opens from dawn to dusk. So so that is a lot of mythology about Azura. But let's talk about other things that we do know about Azura. So Azura's realm of oblivion is Moonshadow. So you can actually find crimson sharp. sorry, crimson shards of moon shadows. So there's a quote here from uh, Morian Zenas from Seraph Ijidas, The Doors of Oblivion. So it says, "Too much beauty. Uh, dot dot dot. I am half blind. I see flowers and waterfalls, majestic trees, a sil- a city of silver, but it is all a blur. The colors run like water." It is raining now, and the wind smells like perfume. This is surely this surely is Moonshadow, where Azura dwells. So Moonshadow is a realm of oblivion, created and ruled by the Daedric Prince Azura, Queen of the Dawn and Dusk. The realm is said to hold too much beauty, so it can so so much that it can render mortals half blind, and contains flowers, waterfalls, and a city of silver. Azura herself resides in a rose, play, rose palace and is welcoming to mortal travels. To the Khajiit, moon shadow is where Azura attends the gates of the crossing, the bridge between Nerni and the afterlife beyond. So kind of like a purgatory, if you will. According to the myth, Azura wept, or, sorry, wept in the great darkness after the death of her mother. The light from her tears chased away the darkness and eventually left a place of moonlight and shadow. Hajjidi mythology also writes that when Magris fled from Boethra and Lorcage after the former had plucked his eye out, he fell into moon shadow. There Azura tend, sorry, judged him too fearful, we talk about this, and to rule a sphere and tore out his other eye. blinding Magris to, The blinded Magris fled into the heavens. Azora made his eye a stone to reflect the varulence Gate. So during the Second Era, the Ashlander inhabitants of Aldrin had come into the possession of several crimson shards of Moonshadow, large red crystals which glow with a powerful red light. Several pieces of armor of Daedric quality found in Tamriel are thought to have originated from Moonshadow. They are enchanted with a strong magical light enchantment, but are otherwise unremarkable. So I have not encountered this. This is a part of ESO. I have not encountered this yet, but maybe that's just it. I will come across it at some point. So, um, there's some notes here. Moon shadow is also another name for Azura. Mortals bone, born, not bone, uh, born (laughs) born under the shadow are known to have also have the ability to turn invisible. This ability is called Moon Shadow, although it is unclear if there is any connection to Azura's realm. In a speech to the Champion of Cyrodiil, that's your character from Oblivion, Mankar Cameron incorrectly names Mephala's realm the Ten Moon Shadows. So he actually did that with a couple of. He also uh, attributed Cold Harbor to Meridia. So, um, let's see here. Let's talk about um, what. Uh, Azura did throughout the ages, so um, let's see we've got the second era in second era 582 this is the events of Elder Scrolls Online Azura asked the Vestige to help free the soul of one of her servants from the clutches of Molak Bal, and to free her from the oracles of the pocket realms of Oblivion I don't think I've encountered that yet, but um, there's also Azura involving herself in the mortals once again, when a plot concocted by Barbus to threaten to, dis- threaten to destroy the island of Vardenfell, This is the events of the Marlin chapter. She assisted the Vestige and her new champion, Saren, which she possessed at one point. She also possessed somebody at the beginning of the Marlin story. So she possessed, uh, she and, you know, Saren helps you defeat the false Neroverine. We talked about this, um, in the Tribunal episodes. Um, she, but yeah, she defeated Chotala, uh, you two defeat Chotala, and begrudgingly um, Azura helps return Lord Vivek's power so he could stave off the meteor and door in collision. So, yeah, that's the events of Marlin. So you actually can ask her why she's willing to help um, Vivek. And she's like, Psh, I'm not helping him. I'm helping Marlin, basically. So um, she's like, you think that I really care about Vivek? Mm-hmm. So let's see. Um, Third era, 4, 405. Azura charged an agent of the Blades with killing a monk who had offended her. The blade was given Azura's a star for completing the task. Um, I'm not sure what game that is. If you give me a second here, so uh, upon looking at the UESP wiki, it looks like that that is part of Daggerfall. So yeah, the, um, you get to see Azura Daggerfall. So in fourth I'm sorry, third era 427, Azura takes notice of a prisoner sent from the Imperial City to Marwind in hopes of being the prophesized hero, the Nerevarine, the reclamation I'm sorry, the reincarnation of Azura's first era champion, Lord Endoral nerevar She helped the guide helped guide the prisoner into fulfilling the prophecy, becoming the Nerevarine, and freeing Marwind from the threat of Dagoth Ur. The Rain was also given Azura a Star as a reward for helping her win a bet against Shea Gorath. <laughs> so, um, I do remember encountering Azura in Marwind. Um, she actually takes the form of a Dunmer. But um, I don't remember helping her with a bet against Shea Gorath. But then again, I haven't done many of the Daedric quests in Marwind. That's something I'm going to have to check out. Mm-hmm. So, in 3rd era, 433, this is the events of Oblivion. Um, the champion of Cyrodiil received the star for putting down some of Azura's worshippers who had inadvertently been turned into vampires while in her service. So, if you play through the main quest of Oblivion, eventually Martin Septim asks you to retrieve a Daedric artifact because you need the blood of a Daedra to... Make the portal to make our paradise. So, the standard quest that pops up when he assigns this to you is getting Azura's star. I mean, you can give him any of the Daedric artifacts; he just needs the blood of a Daedra, and that's just the one that he gives it. It uh, pops up, but. I usually give him something different because Azura Star, which I'll talk about here in a minute, is a uh, soul gem that um, never breaks. So usually when you use a soul gem it becomes it gets destroyed, but that's not the case with Azura Star. It's a rechargeable soul gem. And he talks about how if you do in fact give him Azura Star, he says it's a shame to destroy something so beautiful. It's even more beautiful than he ever than it was described to him. So, um, yeah, speaking of Azura's star, in 4th Era 201, Azura's star was in Skyrim in the hands of a dying mage. He had corrupted the artifact, allowing it to trap black soul gems and placing his own inside it. So, I should mention that um, previously Azura's star would only, you know, hold white souls. So, white souls are souls of non-sentient creatures. So black souls are souls of sentient creatures. So previously it would only accept white souls. So basically what this mage is trying to do is to prevent himself from fully dying. So as he is dying he sends his soul into Azura's star. So Azura sends your character, the last dragonborn, to retrieve the Daedric artifact, though when it was found, it was broken. So the dragonborn entered the star and destroyed the Mage's soul, though whether or not this was done with Azura's help is unclear. So they give you the choice of basically restoring it to the way it previously had been and to where it would only accept white souls. Or you can keep it the way it is, and it'll, since, you know, after that, be called the Black Star, to where it will ex- still accept black souls. Which, you know, why wouldn't you want to do that? <laughs> but that's just me. So, um, I, it should be mentioned, you know, then, when she sends you after the vampires in uh, Oblivion, she's considering this an act of mercy, basically putting her followers out of their misery and um (laughs) that's usually when people become a vampire that's usually one of the first places people become a vampire in oblivion is when they go after these priests of azura so um yeah let's talk about let's talk a little bit more about azura's star itself so it's also known as the twilight star and it's a daedric artifact created by azura And is prominently used as her symbol so usually when you see that star symbol if you do happen to see her in person that is you know quote unquote azura's star so this soul gem is designed to look like it so uh, yeah it's not like any other um soul gem that you would find so it looks like a large intricately designed throwing star or a gemstone with eight star-like prongs in the right. In the right hands, Azura's star acts like a reusable soul gem and with almost unlimited capacity. This makes it highly sought by mages and assassins. It can only capture white souls, but there was once a corrupted... It was once corrupted by mortals to trap black souls instead, becoming the Black Star. Azura star also exists as a celestial object, which appears... Briefly at dawn and dusk, low on the horizon, below the constellation of the Steed. So, um, there are other artifacts that you can find that are attributed to Azura. There's the Moon and Star, or by its full name, One Clan Under Moon and Star. It's a dwarven ring of the Chimer hero Nerevar. The artifact was forged by one of the smiths of the Dwemeri sorcerer-priest Kagnarak. Kagnarok, that's the name that I couldn't remember earlier um, where I bought that house in ESO. Anyway, sorry. Um, it is blessed by the Daedric Prince Azura. The ring lent Nerevar supernatural powers, of p- persuasion, and indisputable proof of identity since any other who tried to wear the ring would be killed instantly. The moon and star helped Nerevar unite the warring K- Chimer clans and formed the First Council, which included the Dwemer. The Moon and Star played a role in the Nerevar prophecies and allowed the Nerevarine, the reincarnation of Nerevar, to again unite the Great Houses and Ashlander clans, this time in the battle against the forces of Dagothur. So this is, yeah, this is a ring that you come into possession of in Morrowind. And it helps you ultimately defeat Degother. So you use the powers of the persuasion and everything to convince the Great Houses to once again unite, which is not something that had happened for eons. So um, there's also the Moonlight Blade, which is a crescent moon-shaped blade associated with both Azura, Azura, it has an H at the end, and the Extent, and the extent Order, Extent Order of the Hidden Moon. So, I don't... Anyway, I'm not going to question that wording, but whatever. Um, This ancient Khajiit order is said to have been gifted the blade by the Mother Goddess herself, who plucked the blade off her own moon staff to be used as a weapon. I've never seen a Zura with a staff, but we'll go with that. The order were charged to... Guide, protect, and redeem the people's souls, both pure and corrupted by Nemaria. Nemaria. I think is how you pronounce that. Nemira, Nemira. That sounds more accurate. The Moonlight Blade was considered a sacred tool for this duty. While on its own, the blade is a deadly weapon against the Dromra, Dromathra. In the hands of those who knew the order's secrets, the blade could cut through liminal, bar- liminal barriers, both the mundane, and those between worlds. So, also we've got the Ring of Azura. The ring was bestowed to the Nerevarine in 3rd era 427 upon killing Dagothur. It possessed few magical, a few magical enchantments. So, yeah, this... Um, I do remember that's... Yeah, after you're leaving the mountain, the Red Mountain, you actually encounter Azura in person, and she gives this to you. So, uh, finally, we've got the Skeleton Key. So, it's also known as the Skeleton's Key. It is a daedric artifact of the Prince Nocturnal. So, yeah, usually the Skeleton Key is associated with Nocturnal. But, um, myths also attribute this to Azura. So, in appearance, the Skeleton Key doesn't always take the form as a key... Of a key, it is sometimes manifests as a lockpick instead. So basically, what this is is it's an unbreakable lockpick. So it sometimes um, appears as this multi-sided skeleton key. So yeah, basically, what it is, it can it's an unbreakable lockpick. So as a lockpick, it is yeah, it's unbreakable and can get past even the toughest locks. The two limitations placed on the key by wizards who sought to protect their storehouses were that the key could only be used once a day and it would never be the property of one thief for too long and eventually disappear. So the artifact functions as a tool for unlocking all things including portals, hidden potential, and other unknown possibilities. I didn't know the hidden potential part, so uh, that's interesting. Its ultimate function, however, is to unlock and hold open the Ebon Mirror, a portal to Nocturnal's realm, the Everglom. We'll talk about that when we get to the Nocturnal episode. So, Located in the Twilight Sepulchre of Skyrim, the Nightingales were tasked with guarding the sepulchre and retrieving the key should be, it be stolen. Ultimately, the prince is said to allow the skeleton key to be stolen or lost periodically, whether on purpose or by apathy. So, yeah, we'll talk about Nocturnal and the Twilight Sepulcher and all that when we get to Nocturnal. So, but that is really it as far as Azura. So um, there are some pictures here in the UESP article. I included several different articles in this episode from the UESP. But as far as the article about Azura herself, there are some pictures that depict Azura. There are some statues of her where she's in her standard pose of holding the sun and the star. Or not the sun, but the the moon and the star. Uh, but there are some, also, some other statues of her. Um, there's the Cavern of the Incarnate, which is from uh, Marwind, I believe. But this picture looks like it's from ESO. And um, she's got this, the moon and the star on either side of her, and she's got her hands kind of together in a a bowl so um there's that there are some other pictures here um like i said there's the standard pose kind of like um the marwin or the the statues where she's got the moon and star either one held up over the other or both on either side of her there is a shrine to azura um, from the dragonborn dlc You can find her, like I said, you can find her in Daggerfall, and um, it looks like she's topless here. So she's got a skirt, and some of these statues also kind of look like she's in that state also. Um, Daggerfall did have some nudity in it, so um, of course it's pixelated from the mid to late 90s but um yeah anyway um that really is it as far as azura there was a lot there um <laughs> it might take a little bit to digest all of this but um yeah so that is azura next up we have boethia so we did talk about boethia a little bit with the kajidi myth here but um yeah next up is boethia and, yeah, so we will continue with the Daedric Princes. There's 16 in all. So we will get through them. And um, so, yeah, next up we get, I would like to thank The Hive, as always, to, uh, for uh, sponsoring this podcast. If you'd like to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. My personal page is iangold08. You can find the show at Tamaril P. You can find me on TikTok if you choose. I don't do a lot with TikTok, mainly. I just record the videos that I post on Instagram. You can find me on Twitch, where I stream occasionally. I haven't been able to do it as much um, for a few reasons, but I'm trying to stream a little bit more. I streamed some Fallout 76 yesterday for about 45 minutes. That was fun. I would have streamed more, but I had some stuff that I had to take care of before I went to work. So I hope to stream um, probably some more Fallout here in the next day or two. I've got to get my dailies done as well as um, do my gameplay segment for the Fallout feed. So I'm going to be on the Fallout feed This Friday, Um, so you you can either listen to it live or you can um, check that out when they post the episode to the podcast feeds. Um, Also, I am going to be guesting on some other shows. I will uh, tweet that out or post that on social media when that is available so you can also check out my other show Nintenfo where I just posted an episode about the Four Swords and Four Sword Adventure games Um, you can also check out my show on Fallout lore that I do with KDB called Tapes from the Wastes Uh, we've got an episode he just posted an episode about uh, Deathclaws recently and we're going to be doing an episode here shortly about um, the companion that you can get in fallout 4 called uh, named kate i love kate she's fantastic Um, and then we should be doing a retrospective on uh, new vegas and the steel rain update here pretty soon so uh, definitely keep an ear to the ground about that and um yeah that is about it so as always stay safe adventurers